The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, uh, and I'm in a partnership also uh, through my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And if you have put your name on the list, on the list to subscribe to Chen, uh, keep in mind that that list will be opening up, and those of you who have, are on the list uh, will have a chance to subscribe to Chen's letter coming up uh, at the turn of the month, the beginning of, uh, of July. Um, if you, uh, that's the only way that you can subscribe to Chen Lin is to get on that list. So there's still time to get on the list if you'd like. The new, uh, I should say that my newsletter, however, is available at all times through J. Taylor's Gold Energy. That is, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks is available at all times uh, on my website at miningstocks.com or you can call my assistant, Claudio Bassi, at 718 457 1426. 718-457-1426 to sign up for it. And I also like to tell you the best place to go to follow everything that I do, including accessing this radio show, is jtaylormedia.com, jaytaylormedia.com. There's an awful lot of uh, information there as well, a lot of interesting articles, stimulating articles uh, that you're certainly free to read and respond to on uh, on that website as well. There's usually a place at the bottom of each article where you can uh, give your opinions on those articles and would welcome you to do that and and perhaps we can play some of those ideas back on the radio from time to time. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel and I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable for uh, the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Timmons Gold, Bravada Gold Corp, uh, Golden Arrow Resources, Miranda Gold, Sand Gold Corp, SGX Resources, and Uranium Energy Corp. 
Well, it certainly is a, a very difficult time right now in the gold markets. I've not I've been uh, following this market since the early 1980s and I have not seen many times for the junior mining sector that are more difficult than this one. I must I must say that is uh, is the case. Uh, we are looking now at an index for the junior gold shares uh, and the gold mining shares in the Toronto uh, S&P uh, Toronto index that is now down close to where they were, if not at where they were after the 2008-2009 Lehman Brothers stock market crash. And so the gold shares have not participated with the general equity market uh, rise here. To the contrary, they have gotten beaten down extremely hard. Now, if you believe that everything is fine and dandy, uh, that the animal spirits is all you really need to lift the economy up, that Mr. Bernanke is on the right track, uh, that the government uh, can spend its way uh, can just deficit spend its way to prosperity, and Mr. Bernanke can print our way to prosperity, then you probably shouldn't even be listening to this show. Well, there may be some things that are of interest to you in any event. Uh, there's some freedom and liberty issues that we talk about that should be and are of interest to everybody. But uh, what I'm saying here is that if you believe that the current policies are on the right track, then you probably don't need gold. Just forget everything about gold and sell all your gold stocks and just listen to what they tell you to do on CNBC. Buy, uh, buy the mainstream products if you like. Uh, if on the other hand you believe that prosperity cannot be created by printing money and deficit spending, then you may want to listen uh, listen to what we have to say today and throughout other episodes of this show. One thing, of course, we are watching very, very carefully, and that is the gold markets. And uh, we've been listening very carefully to what Charles Nanner has to say. He's been suggesting we're very near a bottom. Uh, he has taken off his short positions in gold. Uh, but some others are suggesting that, um, well, you know, we might have a little further to go. I was on the downside, and I was listening to Dr. Robert McHugh, whose uh, Elliott Wave theory suggests uh, that we could go down to just around $1,000 an ounce. And uh, certainly when I look at the charts, and if you look for support, just a little above 1000 is where is where the support, the strongest support would seem to be. So I don't rule out that possibility. However, uh, again, I think that would represent an even better buying opportunity than we have now. And I think this is one of the best buying opportunities I've ever seen uh, for the junior mining sector. And what I'm doing in my newsletter every week is focusing on companies that are cash flow positive, that are strong, that are project generators, companies that can withstand this enormous stress in the gold share market and in the general, um, let's say, the resource markets in general uh, that can then rise uh, and be in even better shape. In fact, they will be the predators and the dominant players when the gold market turns around. I might also mention that Robert McHugh, although calling for a decline to gold in 1000 thinks that that will set us up then for a run-up upwards to $3,000 an ounce. I don't know where gold is going. I like to look at gold in terms of the real price of gold, not the nominal price. And if we get a great deal of deflation, then we could see the real price of gold rising very dramatically, even if it goes down in nominal terms. And that, in fact, is what happened after Lehman Brothers, and that, in fact, is what drove the share price, uh, the profits of the major gold mining companies up very, very high after Lehman Brothers. They've since come down since the real price of gold has come down, gold relative to a basket of commodities. Well, one of the most important markets that I think you have to watch these days is the bond market. Interest rates have started to rise very dramatically, and that has already impacted the mortgage rates, and so there's concerns that the mortgage market 
uh, could be hurt and the recovery in the housing market could be hurt very badly. Well, you know, I don't buy the housing market recovery to start with. I think it's largely contrived. Uh, 80% of the, of the defaulted mortgages are being kept off the market. We have artificially high interest rates. We have, uh, we have government bailouts and buyouts of the mortgages. So the mortgage business and the housing rebound, I think, is, is largely a, an illusion to begin with. So if we see higher interest rates, that could even make it more difficult, I suppose, in the short run. Uh, but the main thing is, why are bond market, uh, why are interest rates rising? Uh, in spite of the fact that Mr. Bernanke, Bernanke is printing $85 billion a month, Ron Paul thinks even more perhaps than that, but at least 85 is what he's admitting to. Um, now, a lot of people, the mainstream, will try to say that interest rates are rising because the economy is getting better. Everything is looking pretty good. And finally, uh, the markets are responding to this wonderful policy of printing money and deficit spending. That's the mainstream. Uh, that will be the spin that you'll hear from CNBC and uh, most of the mainstream Wall Street guys who want you to believe that we're on to the right track. Uh, on the other side, uh, the inflationist, many of my friends who are gold bugs, will suggest that interest rates are rising because the markets are foreseeing inflation into the future. Well, they may be right about that. I'm not going to rule that out. I think that's possible. Uh, but um, as long as the velocity of money continues to plummet, as it is, and we're seeing continually lower levels of, for example, M2 velocity, that's the turnover of money. People are not spending because they have to hang on to everything they've got for fear they're not going to be able to, to buy life's necessities, like pay the rent or the mortgage uh, or put food on the table. And so more than any time we've seen since they've been keeping track of velocity, we see M2, as the Federal Reserve reports it, is at its lowest level ever. And it's not rising in, uh, after all of this stimulus that's been pump pumped in the system. It is not creating the animal spirits that the Keynesians think we need to have. So it's not working. Uh, so another reason that interest rates could be rising, and this is from the deflationist uh, perspective, Robert Prechter suggests that rates will start to rise even for sovereign debt because of the risk of default, uh, so that it's going to be increasing default and fear of default that drives interest rates up. Well, it's not too hard to imagine sovereign debt default rates. We saw it, certainly saw it in Europe. We saw it in Greece. Uh, and elsewhere, uh, over the past year or so, the rates would rise very, very dramatically because people were afraid these sovereign governments couldn't pay their couldn't pay their debts. Uh, and so, I, I think that uh, whatever the reasons are, I think we need to be very much awake and uh, and aware. I think at this point in time, Robert Prechter's scenario to me seems the most realistic at this point in time. Um, you know, I think that there is great fear on the part of the of the policymakers themselves. If you were to ask me why I think we're, default of sovereign debt is an issue, even in the United States, I'll tell you because the Bank of England and the FDIC are preparing a white paper for bail-ins, or they're, um, that's what they're calling it, bail-ins. I would suggest that before the day is over, we're going to start to hear a new term, and I heard it on the radio not recently, uh, not very long ago, uh, called negative interest rates. Yeah, look for negative interest rates. That sounds a little better. It's like quantitative easing sounds better than printing press money. Negative interest rates. Folks, you know, the markets are going to require you to get less not only are you going to get zero interest, but we're going to take some of your bank deposit away from you and call it a negative interest rate. I think that's what's coming. 
And I think uh, that our policymakers are telling us that is what's coming. Well, today's show, we're going to talk about trade. Is free trade really free trade? Uh, in the name of free trade, uh, I would like you to listen to the following interview that uh, the Tea Party News Network did with Curtis Ellis uh, on what Obama, President Obama, is billing as the latest and greatest free trade bill. And, and we had Curtis Ellis with us uh, on this show not too long ago, but... Uh, Matt, if you could please play this, uh, this clip. Uh, it's an interview with, um, with uh, Curtis, with Curtis Ellis. Washington, D.C. I'll tell you about the place. It's a wash in an alphabet soup of acronyms. You have the FCC, the FEC, uh, the FTC. And now we have something in the realm of national security and foreign policy called the TPP. Here to explain the risk involved is our friend Curtis Ellis. Curtis, thanks for taking some time. Got about three minutes. Tell us what's going on with TPP. What does it stand for and what's at stake? TPP stands for Trans-Pacific Partnership. The President Obama in the State of the Union said he wants to get the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement done this year. This is being passed off as a feel-good trade agreement. It's really a weaponized trade agreement. It's a weapon aimed straight at the Constitution straight at our sovereignty, and straight at Christians around the world. It's an agreement between 12 countries around the Pacific Rim, from Malaysia and Brunei down to Chile, Mexico, and Canada. You may have heard of the North American Union a few years ago. This is the North American Union on steroids with 12 countries. It's going to merge our economy with these 12 other countries. Now, Brunei, Malaysia, Vietnam persecute Christians. They ban the Bible, ban Christmas celebrations. We're going to be merged with those countries economically. And when you talk about a surrender of sovereignty, does this mean suborning our rules and regulations to some international tribunal? Is that what the TPP provides? Absolutely. That's exactly what it provides for. It sets up these international tribunals, and under the auspices of the United Nations and the World Court, they will be able to rule on our laws and rewrite our tax codes. We won't have control over our tax dollars anymore because these international bodies of unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats can tell us how to spend our tax dollars. And there's one thing that's almost worse than that. It would take foreign companies working in the U.S. and exempt them from EPA regulations, even as American companies would still be strangled by that red tape. As you can hear, our friend Curtis Ellis has an SOS about the TPP, a warning for Americans. Curtis, for more information, where should our viewers turn? They should go to notpp.us. Notpp.us. You can get more information. And right there, you can press the red button and hit the SOS to Congress. Tell your member of Congress, don't give Barack Obama the extra constitutional power to sign the TPP, because that's what he wants to do. Come this summer, he's going to ask Congress to surrender its constitutional power to regulate trade with foreign countries, give that power to Obama, and then he's going to sign this agreement, and he's going to ram this through Congress unless we stand up. No TPP.us. Curtis Ellis, we thank you for your time. That's no TPP.us. Curtis Ellis, sounding the alarm here at CPAC. 
So that's Curtis Ellis. Uh, you heard him on this show as well. I think he has uh, something very, very important to say. I hope that you'll listen to him and follow up uh, if possible. Uh, so uh, I do want to get into today's discussion a little bit. Is going to be on free trade, which is uh, or what is billed as free trade. It seems to me anything but free trade. And if there is free trade, then why uh, are we talking about the death uh, of American industry in the United States. And that's one of the things we're going to talk to Ed Qualls about at 3.30 as well. Stopping by, uh, hopefully in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to have Carrie Lutz with me. And we're going to talk to Carrie Lutz about the Liberty Mastermind Symposium that's coming up this weekend in Dallas, Texas. And I'm going to be attending that. A lot of very, very interesting people are going to be there uh, that I think uh, you'll want to hear uh, what they have to say. So I'm hoping uh, that you'll stick around and listen to what Carrie has to say after the first commercial break. Later in the day, we're going to be talking to Daniel McAdams. Daniel is currently the executive director of Ron Paul of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And Daniel, uh, he served Ron Paul uh, well, for quite a while in the Congress as his foreign affairs advisor. And so Daniel has an awful lot of very interesting things to say, a lot of very interesting uh, uh, essays that he's provided at the Ron Paul Institute. Uh, we're going to talk to Daniel uh, at about 4 o'clock today. And then also Ken Cunningham is stopping by. I think one of the most exciting, well, probably the market doesn't see it that way because the stock's only 17 cents, but Miranda Gold is looking very, very uh, interesting at this point in time. Uh, and Ken Cunningham is going to be with us at about 4.30 New York time today to talk about, uh, about Miranda Gold Corp. Um, and their new uh, arrangement with uh, Agneagle Eagle in Columbia looks very, very exciting. We do have to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, uh, we will talk to Kerry Lutz, uh, who will give us uh, the rundown on the Liberty Mastermind Symposium uh, that looks very, very interesting. And as I said, I will be attending. Hope to see as many of you there as possible. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Carrie Lutz. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. 
Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Amir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Kerry Lutz. Uh, Kerry Lutz uh, has his own radio show, which is very much worth listening to. And uh, so welcome, Kerry. Good to have you with me again. Hey, Jay. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, love your show. And, uh, you know, you're a good friend and uh, a fellow traveler on what, what has often felt like a lonely uh, path in the past, right? It is um, sometimes to think uh, and to do your own thing is a lonely thing. Uh, it, it seems to be increasingly that way in America, that we are being programmed to all think alike, look alike, smell alike, talk alike, everything alike. You know, and Instead of being unique human beings that each of us have been created to be, we are supposed to sort of mold into one faceless uh, entity and just sort of salute um, the powers that be. Yeah, it's, uh, unfortunately, I've always been a square peg in a round hole, so I've never been able to conform. And how many of you out there feel that way? I mean, you just you just go along and you just never fit in. So for me, it was just a natural progression that uh, that I just knew I was never going to be that person uh, just going along to getting along, you know? I know what you mean, Carrie, just because I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in a lot of the things that you do on your show. Tell our listeners where they can go to hear hear your show. Oh, sure. It's uh, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. That's financialsurvivalnetwork.com. And, you know, we got a lot of the same people that you have on, and, you know, we trade guests regularly. Yeah, we do. And we're going to be talking to and meeting up with a lot of uh, people that are on my show, a lot of really spectacularly interesting people that we're going to meet up with at the Liberty Mastermind Symposium. Tell our listeners about that event that's coming up this weekend, isn't it? It's it's come up so fast, but it's in Dallas, Texas. Tell our listeners about that event. Yeah, I can't even believe that it's here already. But yeah, if you're a freedom-loving person, if you care about the erosion of your liberties and the fact that uh, that you see the the very foundations that your country was built upon just dissipating really just 
disappearing into thin air, then you really need to be at this thing. Um, it's, it's happening in Dallas, libertymastermind.us. We got 15 speakers there, including yourself, me, Mickey Fulp, David Morgan, Martin Armstrong, who I'm particularly thrilled is going to be there because that's a guy who's actually lost his liberty for, for basically blowing the whistle on the very type of thing that you saw happen with MF Global and so many other uh, bankster-related scams that came to pass. He was yeah. ahead of his time over a decade ago, spent 11 years in jail blowing the whistle on this. And, you know, you know Jay, if, if the currency collapses or continues to be debased at the rate that it's being debased, how much freedom can you have if all of your wealth is in paper? And if all of your sustenance, if you exist at, at, the, at, the, uh, at the leisure of the king, of the emperor, how free are you? That's the whole point here, is you have to learn how to live free in an ever-changing, in a world that's becoming ever more unfree. And you can do it, but you need help. And that's why we're gathering, you're gathering, I'm gathering in Dallas at the Liberty Mastermind Symposium. That's why you really need to be there. It's not a lot of money. This isn't a profit-making endeavor. It's just a place where similarly-minded people, where you can get together and build strategies, build a roadmap to staying free, to keeping your family free, to keeping your children free. That's what it's really all about. And you think that the civil rights battles of the 60s were about gaining freedom. Well, this is about keeping freedom. Yeah. And you know, you and I talk about it a lot. And what else it really is there in life? Well, I agree with you on that. Um, uh, live free or die is the model of New Hampshire, I think. And I don't know how many people people even realize that we're losing our freedom. They don't see the dangers of the government knowing everything about us. You know, Kerry, I wonder, do you know, has the government ever defined what a terrorist is? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. What a terrorist is. I mean, is it like, I mean, is it like pornography? They, they, you know, they said, you know it when you see it. <laughs> well, yeah, we know that people that throw bombs are terrorists. What about people that throw words that are unkind to their government? Are they terrorists? Well, look, this guy, Snowden, uh, exposed a whole system of spying, systematic spying on the public. And, you know, now they're out to get them. And they're really bringing all sorts of pressure on our allies and our non-allies to the point where China and Russia don't even want to want to touch the guy and you know it's it's pretty remarkable and yet he already confirmed what you and I have long suspected that massive massive uh, surveillance on non-terrorists which is most of the population is taking place you know Jay around the world 70 Americans uh non Military Americans are killed in terrorism yearly, all right? Mm -hmm. 70. And yet we spend a couple trillion dollars a year protecting the country against terrorism. There's something desperately wrong taking place in the country and the world right now. And this guy helped expose it, and this is his just reward, I guess. So yeah, he's, he's a terrorist. Uh... 
Well, it's a whistleblower to some people and a terrorist to others. And uh, you know, uh, you know, I side with the whistleblower idea. I that's where I come down on this thing. Um, he went to the newspapers and said, "You guys should look at this." And the newspapers saw fit. One of them saw fit to publish it. Uh, the U.S. papers didn't, and uh, I think there's probably some good reasons why they didn't. But you know, is is um, uh, I think the governments all too often probably hide behind. Uh, the the notion that it is security when in fact it's the, their own security the security of individuals to do things they're not supposed to be doing a lot of times any more than uh, than a thief in the night wants the uh, floodlights to come on when he's breaking into a house I suspect that that's a lot of what's going on uh, maybe he broke the laws um, but you know I, I like to say that Hitler never broke any laws you know so the laws are being yeah. set up to take yeah. away our liberty. That is for sure. I have no doubt about that. Of course, the uh, defenders of this uh, will uh, of what uh, of going after him will say that it's for our own protection. But at some point in time, I wonder, you know, if the cure isn't worth, worse than the disease. Because if what you do is end up taking away liberty, which is what America was founded on, if that's what the end result is, then haven't we lost the battle? Hey, Jay. I have yet to hear somebody explain to me when I go to an airport how when I stand with my hands above my head and that thing x-rays me and gets the most intimate pictures of me, although supposedly now it's not, and how when I take my shoes off, how that protects my freedom. Nobody's explained that one to me. I mean, you know, you and I were going on airplanes tomorrow or the day after to go to Dallas to talk about liberty, and we're giving up our liberties to get there. No one's explained to me how this is going to help, how this has stopped terrorism or anything else, and people just go along with it because that's what the government tells them is necessary to keep you safe and sound. And it's time that you start questioning everything the government says you need to do to stay safe and all the freedoms that you give up to stay safe because, you know, Benjamin Franklin, that thing's been, been bandied around a lot lately. Those who give up uh, security, they, those who give up freedom for uh, security wind up with neither. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly we're going to wind up the same way. It would, uh, it would seem to be the case. So, again, uh, the, some of the other speakers that you didn't mention, Bill Murphy is going to be there from GATA. Uh, David Morgan has been on this show. John Rubino I'm really sure. looking forward to talking to. I mean, a whole lot of people. Andy Hoffman, uh, Gary Gibson, Matt uh, Dubell, uh, Jeff Berwick will be there. Uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of really, really interesting people. I don't know Lindsay Hall, but a lot of people that I'm really looking forward to meeting for the first time. So again, Carrie, uh, what is the website where people can go to? Oh, that's libertymastermind.us, libertymastermind.us. Libertymastermind.us, or you can also access it through jtaylormedia.com. There's a, a, a banner there. Just link onto the, click onto that. It will take you right through uh, to the site. I want to thank you very much, Carrie, for, uh, for being with us again today, and, and uh, I look forward to seeing you and, and all of our uh, fellow libertarians uh, down there in Dallas, Texas. I guess it's right at the airport. Uh, the hotel is right at, off the airport, or where yeah. is it? So yeah, it's, 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 it's is. You, you fly into DFW, you take a shuttle right to the double tree, you're there. Okay, it's the, it's the airport shuttle even, right? Yep, 
Yeah, right. Excellent. Airport shuttle right to the double tree, the DFW double tree. You don't have to rent a car, nothing. You're there. Sign up for the dinner um, Friday evening. You know, Robert Ian helped put this thing together. He actually did most of the work, i got to admit. And uh, he's from Conquer Change. He's on Gold Seek Radio Commentary every month, every uh, week. And, uh, you know, you just go uh, take the shuttle right there, sign up for the dinner. We're all eating there. Everybody mingles. No, uh, no uh, aloofness, no one-offness. None of us are celebrities. We're all uh, in this together. Thank you very much, Kerry. Really look forward to it. Look forward to seeing you again uh, down there in Dallas, Texas. Folks, don't go away. We're going to come right back right after the commercial break. We're going to be talking to Edward Qualls, and we're going to talk to him about free trade and the death of American industry and and other topics related there, too. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Edward Qualls. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. SGX Resources is an exploration gold company with multiple advanced exploration projects in the Timmins Gold Camp. Recent high-grade intersections at SGX's Tully Deposit include 14 meters at 20.1 grams per ton and 17.6 meters at 11.1 grams per ton. The deposit is currently more than 600 meters along strike with a depth of up to 250 meters and remains open in all directions. SGX Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange with the trading symbol SXR. Visit our website at www.sgxresources.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll free 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Edward Qualls. Ed was going to be with us some time ago, but uh, something called a tornado ripped through his area, and he wasn't able to be with us, so we're very glad to have him with us today. Ed, uh, uh, his upbringing was one that included, uh, started he started music and uh, enjoying music, and at the age of six, uh, 
Uh, he learned French and, and more French plus Spanish and Latin in high school, uh, along with modern Greek lessons. And he has a, a master's in science degree in business administration. He has a BA degree in German and music. Uh, and extensive experience of over three decades as a project manager and developer within the software industry. And he decided to make use of all his skills, experience, and training to express his insights into business, uh, the English language, and other topics uh, in order to provide explanations to and for the general public of the conditions in which we now find ourselves and to provide a voice to those whose situation denies them free expression. So, Ed, uh, his book, uh, he's the author of several books, but the latest one, the one we want to talk to him today about is Community Capitalism, Pulling Capitalism Back from Its Own Abyss. Uh, welcome, Ed. It's really good to have you with us today. Thank you. You know, I should tell our listeners right off the bat, because I was there and I think it's a place they should go to, your website is vexedviking.com, right? V-E-X-E-D, viking.com. Right. Um, well, I'm curious about the name of your website. Why? What? How do you come up with Vexed Viking? Well, I was on my last, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, management role. Um, I discovered that my background is very heavily uh, British, North European, but it all leads right back to the Viking, um, and that kind of got out with the the guys I was working with, and they came up with the phrase. Don't Vex the Viking, which uh, they were applying to me because I have a uh, very strong sense of propriety when it comes to how executives and upper management treat my guys. And so um, they would warn people that uh, he, uh, he is uh, kind of large and he does have a bit of a temper when it comes to these issues of the, the workers against ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, so explain that. You mean that you, you didn't have much patience as a manager with, with stupid workers? No, with, with the requirements that would come down from on high about uh-huh. this, that, and the other that would interfere with the, uh, the work that we were trying to get done. It uh, is more or less summed up in one of the phrases I have in the book, and that is that all business success comes from the bottom up. All business failure comes from the top down. Very interesting. Very interesting. I, I, uh, I think there's probably an awful lot of truth to that. Um, and then the management needs to be in touch and understand the people at, at lower levels, right? Right. The problem that we've seen with corporations in particular is that they've gotten into this financial economy where they've come up with slogans like optimizing shareholder value. Well, optimizing shareholder value is a non-phrase because no one knows exactly what the shareholders are valuing. So Mm -hmm. the situation in which they end up more or less trying to herd cats because the other thing, of course, is that Corporations cannot directly control their stock prices, and that is really what everyone is going by nowadays, is Mm -hmm. the stock price. Not the fact that these corporations are actually supposed to be long-lived businesses that are producing uh, goods and services of value to the economy that they're in, but also providing a... uh, a place in which excellence can be fostered and communities can be 
developed and um, really brought forth with with the the qualities that they can come forth with. It's really down to, uh, you know, the the executives keep checking what their stock is worth, what their stock options are going to be worth. And um, in the situation we're in with the stock market being so heavily driven by price and the fact that it's driven primarily by speculation, Mm -hmm. uh, there's no no. Uh, connection between uh, prices and the way the stock is moving in the in the market, any actual things going on in the corporations themselves. And one of the biggest signs of this is that if a corporation announces layoffs, their stock price goes up. Yeah, and right. that's the way speculators respond to that because there's going to be a temporary, usually very temporary, spike in profitability from this company because they shed some expenses. Well, the problem with that is that real investors and those in the community watching these things will see this as an admission of failure on the part of management. And real investors will say, wait a second, what's going on here? If you hadn't made a bad decision, we wouldn't have to be getting rid of these people. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, where was that bad decision made? What's the nature of that bad decision? How do we fix it? How do we redo things to reinvigorate the situation and get things back on track. But, you know, that's that's really a Warren Buffett-like attitude, which you don't see in a world where everything or so much of the trading on the stock market is triggered just by changes in price. Right. It's done electronically, lightning trades, or it goes through the uh, the shadow pools, to uh, uh, bring about these trades where no one really knows what's going on. And uh, it, it's all about the short term, isn't it? Because uh, what what is good for the long term isn't necessarily in the short term. So the speculators want to see that, that return. They want to see those earnings go up so the share price go up. It's just, it's just, it's just not based on, on reality any longer. It seems to be more like a gambling casino uh, in the United States than ever before. It seems hard for me sometimes to in the market, and I, I trade the market sometimes, and I used, to be, I used to invest in the market. I find myself, I find it very difficult to stay away from the ETFs and various other instruments that are out there and using some technical analyses of people that have been pretty successful. But it doesn't feel right, and it almost, I almost feel dirty. I feel like I'm not, I would be better off if I weren't spending my time there doing that because I'm not creating any value. As an analyst of mining companies, I'm doing better for my subscribers if I'm spending time understanding these companies and providing investment advice instead of uh, that kind of uh, speculative trading advice, right? Right. Yeah, okay, it's I definitely t- short-term. Yeah, and, and, and I hear what you're saying. I, I want to talk to you today. I, I think the, the headline that caught my attention and caused me to get in touch with you, uh, your publicist put out uh, a headline, Free Trade and the Death of American Industry. And I want to, I want to talk to you about that. I have a sense that, you're suge- that probably the problem is from the inside out, and you're not blaming other countries as much as you're blaming us, because uh, I also want to talk to you about community capitalism, pulling capitalism back from its own abyss is the name of your book. Uh, and um, uh, in, in, But before we even get to that, uh, there was a quote on your website that I thought was really good, and I'd like to read it to our listeners. 
Uh, quote, capitalism starts at home. Strong neighborhoods build strong communities, which build strong states, which builds a strong nation. If you want a strong nation, start at the foundation. Invest in your community, work for its success, and from that success will grow the national prosperity that we all desire, end of quote. It sounds to me a little bit like what you were saying with the companies. The success comes from the bottom up. And, right. um, but but I, I'm wondering here now, if if we might not have some sort of a spiritual or moral problem in America in the sense that I would wonder if we shouldn't go a step deeper into the family structures. If families are breaking apart, because I know from my experience when we raised our son, when they're, the boys in his classroom that didn't have fathers in the classrooms or didn't have fathers, uh, the boys in his classroom didn't have fathers were usually problematic kids to a great extent. And it's an oversimplification, right. but do you think that possibly one of the problems is the demise of the family in America might be part of the reason for the demise in the, uh, in the neighborhoods and so forth? That's definitely entering into it. It seems to me to be an entire cluster or a constellation of problems that have all come together at, at one point with, with uh, with neighborhoods and with communities. Part of it is this um, failure to recognize the difference between generating wealth and accruing wealth. Uh-huh. Now, that's the difference between speculation and, and investment. Mm-hmm. But it, it's really something that isn't taught to, uh, to anyone, and that really gets back to work ethic, that... When you are accruing wealth, you are not generating anything within the economy that actually helps the economy. Money is just going from, from hand to hand. And this is the situation with the stock market as it stands. The, uh, the next thing is the, the breakdown of community feeling, the breakdown of uh, role models, and uh, it even gets down, I believe, to the fact that uh, you know, originally it was television, but now it's social media. The isolation of the individual within um, what should be society is really causing a failure to recognize the worth of the other, the, mm-hmm. the worth of your friends, the worth of the community. And this, of course, in the South is uh, has been... Um, made even worse by air conditioning because yeah. at one at one point uh, we knew how our neighbors were when we were going to make a decision about something in our yard we'd already talked to them about it when we needed help or needed advice we knew who to go to in the neighborhood and, and we had an enriching experience as a whole person within our community mm-hmm. and not only did we learn to value the members of our community, but we learned how to be a valuable member of our community. Well, what's our communities now? Uh, you know, you get in your car and, and it's just you and you drive 28 miles to work and, and you sit there fuming about how you haven't had a raise in four and a half years and then uh, you get back in your car and turn the air conditioning back up, turn the, the music on, make sure it's not a local radio station, but, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. one that just plays music, and you, you cocoon yourself and you go home and then you try to establish something with a community by using social media, which is probably the worst name 
<laughs> that's ever been invented because it's really anti-social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is so isolating that you only see snippets out of other people's lives. And, of course, anything that they say that you don't want to deal with or you don't want to you don't want to confront, you can either hide it or just go on about it. And you don't end up being able to realize what other people can mean to you, what you can bring to other people's lives, because, you know, it's just not possible with social media. And it's maybe it's because of the death of things like uh, churches or singing groups or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, any of these organizations that fostered one might say celebration mm-hmm. that you had a, a common experience. Um, I think those are entering into it too. Sure. Well, it's, it's very interesting. Ed, you know, the other day I saw this, a real spectacle. I, uh, it was on, on television. I believe there were a couple of, um, of teenage girls were sitting next to each other and texting to each other. You know, they weren't looking at each other in the in the eyes and talking to each other. They were they were texting to each other. So we certainly are becoming detached, and, and it seems to be uh, losing our humanity in a way that. Um, so how does this extend then to? Uh, can we make connect the dots with free trade and the death of American industry? Well, the the problem that I see in in what what has arisen with free trade really starts with the fact that when World War II was over, there really was no economy except the American economy. And the business leaders at the time uh, were really pumped up with themselves because they had helped win the war and they thought everything that they were doing was exactly right on on line and, and they ended up getting set into this pattern of, of doing things that really reminds me of what the Japanese called victory disease. And that is uh, the Japanese, because of everything that they were able to do against the British and the Americans and the Australians and everybody else in uh, early 1942, came to believe they couldn't do anything wrong. Mm. So that was one of the biggest seeds of Japanese defeat was the fact that they just believed they were doing everything right and wouldn't pay attention to anyone else. Well, this is exactly the same situation that American business found itself in until we got this shock of our lives in the 1970s and 80s when Japanese automobiles started showing up and they were better. (laughs) (laughs) And the interesting thing about that was what the Japanese had put into place in productivity, quality control, and all of this came from American business teachers. (laughs) American industry and American industrial leaders would not even listen to their own professors, their own teachers, their own researchers. They just went right on. So you ended up with things like K-cars and Pintos and just absolute industrial disasters because of this victory disease that had set in. Now, I, I believe that that continued even through you know, the, the turn of the century because the rush to take down trade barriers, mm-hmm. which everybody said, well, it will, it'll be great, it'll drive down prices and it'll increase, blah, blah, blah. Well, we weren't ready for it because we didn't know how to compete in an international market. Mm-hmm. When 
the uh, the trade barriers came down in Europe, they knew how to work the system so that you know the Germans stayed on top, but they knew how to work it because they had been in the trading situation for a long time in international mm-hmm. trade. Sure, but. Uh, the United States did not know how to do it. So all of a sudden, we have this flood of goods coming from overseas because of the confluence of two things. And one was that failure to upgrade business um, mechanics and methods and learn how to exploit the fact that although we were a very strong or still are a very strong economy, we had to get in and we had to get in sync with the world as a whole. The other thing we didn't understand at that time was the effect that lowering transportation costs were going to have on goods moved internationally. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that has hit the Rust Belt in particular was the assumption, and this also affects the, the unionization of those, was the, uh, the fact that the assumption of the Rust Belt Industries was that they were there in that place because that's where the raw materials were. And it wasn't going to be a problem because nobody was ever going to be able to afford to move raw materials um, expeditiously or economically to threaten their existence. Well, in come the South Koreans, and all of a sudden, we don't have a steel industry anymore. Mm-hmm. Because the South Koreans had, at the same time they were building up the, the steel industry... They built up their shipping industry. Mm-hmm. They were making larger ships. So they were playing the system from the point of view of, we can get these, uh, you know, the raw materials. We have new, um, new factories. We have better trained people. We have fewer people, people that we have to use because of the training. And at the same time, we can lower the cost of the importation of the raw materials and at the same time, lower the cost of the transportation of the finished goods. And we can mm-hmm. undercut all of these people who are making the assumption that the world is still operating on steam, mm-hmm. which is exactly what the Rust Belt Industries and the management and the executives there were operating off of until they got their industry knocked out from under them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Well, so so so, what is the answer, Ed? I mean, we obviously we had all of those advantages after World War II. Everybody else for, for a couple of decades were out of commission, and we just got fat and lazy. Is that is that what happened to us? A little bit of hubris along the way, perhaps. Yeah, that was exactly what happened. It's a case where, as a nation, we have to be rededicated to a couple of things, and that is. The infrastructure has got to be modernized. Mm -hmm. Along with that, the people in the workplace have to be trained to work within an international situation. They have to be able, they have to be trained to compete more effectively. And at the same time, so do the executives. Mm -hmm. That we are no longer in a marketplace where the United States is the main market, and you can depend on that. Now, we've got to be doing what the Chinese have been doing, and that is finding every possible opportunity where we can use our strengths to come in and bring our market back. Because as far as I can tell, and as far as I'm concerned, the government deficit is not the problem. 
The problem is the trade balance. Mm -hmm. It's the current accounts balance because at this point, the, uh, the number of greenbacks held by people overseas, by foreigners, is $3 trillion mm -hmm. because of the continuous trade deficit we have run since the uh, early 1970s. Right. So that's something we have got to turn around. If, you know, we can be as in debt as we want to be as long as we have the income to cover it. Mm -hmm. But right now, we don't have that income to cover it. Well, you're, so, you're, you're absolutely right about that, Ed. I know in looking at uh, total U.S. debt to GDP, it's far higher than it was in the worst of the, 19, uh, of the Great Depression. Uh, if you look at, I'm talking government as well as personal debt and everything else, and the income, and that's what I think the world is facing right now, but especially the United States is facing, as you say, the lack of it, GDP or the lack of income to service that debt. So I, I, and, and so why have we had this, uh, oh my gosh, I've only got a minute left. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, why do we have this, this chronic trade problem, this chronic deficit problem? You've got uh, 35, 45 seconds to answer the question. Uh, number one is oil. Mm -hmm. We can get so, away from oil by whatever means. That will, that will go so far to fixing it. it it's amazing. Okay, we have an energy uh, boom in the U.S., or at least we're told that we have growth in energy, natural gas and oil. Is that going to help us? That's going to help tremendously. The other thing is people don't understand or don't know. Texas is now the world's largest producer of wind energy. Ah, okay. To the point that electricity produced by wind is now within half a pen, half a uh, within two and a half cents per kilowatt hour of traditional. <laughs> Ed, I think there's so much more we need to talk to you about, but we're out of time. Uh, we can have you back again sometime, perhaps in the future. Again, folks, it's vexedviking.com, V-E-X-E-D, viking.com. Uh, and the name of the book is Community Capitalism, Pulling Capitalism Back from Its Own Abyss. Ed, you've given us a lot of very interesting things to think about today. Thank you very much for your time, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Thank you. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be back after the break uh, with Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace. And Daniel is going to talk to us about what his boss is up to these days and what the Institute uh, for Peace and Prosperity is doing. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Daniel McAdams. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ranked gold mining region. Sandgold's most recent gold discovery, the Shoreline Basalt Mining Unit, is already in production at more than 75,000 ounces per year. And Sandgold continues to pursue nearby targets within one of Manitoba's most prospective gold mining trends, the Rice Lake Gold Belt. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol is SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www.sandgold.ca. 